Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Sandy Stewart, and I serve as a shepherding deacon and co-chair of the Greeters Ministry in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. Let the mountains hear our voices raised in prayer and praise, wise and holy God. We gather in this sacred place to honor and adore you. We come humbly claiming the cross of Jesus Christ as our sign. We give thanks that you lift up the weak and lowly, defy the world's foolishness, and invite us to share in life as its fullest and best as disciples of Jesus. We want to accept your invitation. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Let us worship God. How often have we turned our backs when we could embrace, remained silent when we could speak, spoke when we could have listened, closed the door when we could have flung it wide open, judged when we should have sought understanding, cling when we should have given. Let us offer to God of what lies heavily on our hearts this morning as we confess our sins. O oh God, we confess that we have accepted the world's wisdom as our guide. We have been impressed by the power of weapons and the importance of high positions. We measure worth by the number of possessions we command. We have been unkind in our speech and uncaring in our deeds. We have doubted the power of the cross to save. Turn us around, holy God, that we might be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
the Apostles' Creed holds us fixed to our commitment, so let's share together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to heaven. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sitteth in the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's take a moment to share Christian fellowship with one another. Good morning. Good morning. Hope you wear your sunscreen this morning. <laughs> We're glad that we have this place of spirit that would warm us in the midst of a cool day. We're thankful that you're here with us and especially we're delighted if perhaps you're here for the very first time or maybe you are a regular visitor and we would especially welcome you. And we would love for you to fill out the friendship pads. That way we can note those folks who are sitting near us. Those of you who are seasonal, in your uh, participation with us, or maybe regular visitors or whatever, uh, we would love to be able to uh, be in contact with you, let you know what's happening here at Church of the Palm. So in your bulletin, you'll see an insert wherein you can give us your southern address, your northern address, any information you'd like for us to know, other ways by which we can be of help to you and serve you while you're here. We really uh, value greatly our uh, seasonal uh, congregation and we would wanna make sure that we are in touch with you in all kinds of ways. So we hope that you'll fill one of these out. If you uh, know for a fact we don't have your information or if you're wondering about that, fill this out and put it in the offering plate when it goes by and that way we will be able to be in touch with you year round and you can find out what's happening here at Church of the Palms. We have a, an important meeting after our third service today. Our annual meeting is at 12 noon right here in the sanctuary, so uh, perfect time for you to grab a little time at class and then maybe run out and get a quick little breakfast and then come back at 12. Um, but we will have a good gathering where we'll give lots of thanks for what the good Lord has done for us in the year past and look ahead to the year to come. We have a Wednesday night dinner this Wednesday night. We uh, have a occasional Wednesday night dinner where we have the chance to feature uh, some one of our mission partners. Today, we'll, uh, this Wednesday night, we will have representatives from 4D Ministries. So come and enjoy a, a meal with us. And then afterwards, we'll have the chance to hear from them and uh, learn more about the ways by which Church of the Palms is reaching out to our world. If you are coming for dinner, make sure you make your reservations by tomorrow. We uh, are delighted to be able to 
Remind you that in, on March 24th and 25th, we'll have our Reignite Conference, and we heard about this last week. We'll continue to hear about it. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to think about, uh, what's the next chapter of my life, and what might God's call be for me? We would love for you to sign up for that. If you'd like to get more information about that, you can find it in the church office. We receive our two cents a meal offering today. This is our chance to come alongside of the efforts toward hunger relief, and we would love for you to help us with that. Pilgrimage to Scotland and Narnia, Oxford, London, and all those good places. We have another information meeting a week from this Monday, February the 6th, so come and join us for that. Connect Magazine is available for you as you leave the, the sanctuary today, and uh, that will be an opportunity for you to look through and find out what's happening in the months to come. If you've ever wondered about uh, how things happen here at Church of the Palms, especially if you've ever wondered when you come here how and why the grounds are so beautiful or if you wondered how it is that we hand out a bag of groceries every 15 minutes every day of the week, Monday through Friday. It's certainly through your support, through our uh, giving that helps that, but it's also the, all these untold stories and these unsung heroes, these people who show up without anyone knowing what they're doing and putting in untold hours of service. And one such person who has been a part of our Buildings and Grounds Committee is a young man named Greg Ignatian, and Greg is right over here. And we just want to surprise him to say, thank you, Greg, for all that you do. Every morning when I, it seems like every morning when I get here, he beats me to the office, and he's already scoured half the campus, picking up trash, and pulling up weeds and trimming bushes and just doing all those kinds of things that we don't necessarily recognize. But Greg, we want to thank you for all that you do here. Would you please stand and let these folks give him a round of applause. There you are, sir. A little certificate. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Yes, yes, yes. And let us continue our worship.
pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of life and for a grace and love that we most certainly do not deserve. We are living in a tumultuous time and we so desperately need your presence, Lord. Fear is a powerful weapon, and although we don't have all the answers, I pray that the seeds of hate will be obliterated. Help us, Lord, to see the part that we can play to be ambassadors of your grace and your love. We see your handiwork in the stars and the moon at night, in the beauty of the earth and the sea, even in the rain that replenishes the earth. Lord, we see your handiwork in the people we meet and in all that is good. Yet we know that sin and sorrow are the constant companions for so many of us. Father, stir in our hearts the desire for you and you alone. Draw us close to you so that our actions are those of love and kindness, reflections of Christ in a hurting world. Lord, give us courage to stand up for those who are too weak to defend themselves, the widows, the orphans, and the strangers. And Lord, give us wisdom to listen and to respond with compassion and love. We pray for our brothers and sisters across the world who have had to flee their homes from vicious oppressors. We pray for all of the innocent men, women, and children who are still caught in the middle of horrific violence in the Middle East and beyond. We pray for those who suffer from cancer and other life-threatening diseases. May your healing presence be felt among our brothers and sisters. We pray for those who don't have enough food to eat, or clean water to drink, or a place to lay their head at night. Help us to reflect your love with our words and our actions. Gracious God, we pray for our men and women in the military and for their families. We pray for the leaders of our nation and all nations across the globe. Lord, we pray for the leaders of this church and community. Grant them all wisdom and courage to make decisions that are life-giving to all of your people whom you love. Fill us with your grace as we seek to welcome others into relationship with us, into our church, into our communities, and into our homes. Help us to remember, Lord, the amazing grace that your Son gave to each one of us as he stretched out his arms to welcome us all home. And Lord, hear us when we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we remember the very tangible ways in which we help those who are hurting right here, through our food pantry, through hosting homeless families and Samaritan counseling, let us receive our tithes and offerings to support these and other very important ministries.
Let us pray. Gracious God, we present this offering to you as a sign of our love and our commitment. Use it, multiply it, and bless it in your son's name. Amen. And now I'd like to invite the children and Miss Carol to come forward for our children's moment. Yeah, not too big a crowd. Oh, we got, we got one up front already. <laughs> they come in from all sides. Come on up, Olivia. Come on over here, close, close in, huddle, huddle. So this morning we're gonna talk about the rules, okay? The commandments, you guys know about the commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, who made the commandments? Ben. God. That's right, are they, are they um, good rules? Yeah, they're important, right? All 10 of them? It's good to follow rules, right? And sometimes we have our own ideas about um, how do we interpret the rules, right? You guys have rules at your house? Yeah. Who's got rules? Olivia? Chores. You got chores, okay. Cleaning your room. All right. Maddie, what do you got? Feeding my dog and Feeding my hamster. And your hamster. Any other rules like go to bed, you gotta get to bed by 7.30, right? Eight? <laughs> what? My kids never go to bed on time. It drives me crazy. Well, um, did you ever argue with your parents? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, well, what about the rules in the, in the world? Do our parents have rules? Yes. Yeah, your, like, like the rules from the world. Who made the rules in Florida that we have to, that we have to use? Who made the rules? God. God made some of the rules. Did he make like the driving rules and stuff? Ben, who do you think? The mayor. The mayor. Well, it's lawmakers, men and women of the world made the rules. They even make rules when we don't, about how to punish us when we don't follow the rules. Like if we speed too fast, we're gonna get a ticket and all that. If we're not, if we're really badly behaved, we might even have to go to jail, right? So we're learning today about how Jesus interpreted the, the rules or the laws back in his day. You see, Jesus understood the commandments better than any of the lawmakers in his day, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were strict on the rules and they liked to stick to it and they didn't like to waver and it kind of didn't like the way Jesus interpreted the rules sometimes. They even made up more rules in that time when Jesus started his ministry, he went around and he was teaching people and healing people all over the place. And um, he was doing things on the Sabbath. Remember that rest on the Sabbath commandment? Well, the, the Pharisees didn't like that, so they called Jesus out on it. They basically said, Jesus, you're breaking the law. You are not supposed to be healing people on the Sabbath. That's too much like work right? They might have just wanted to get him in trouble. I'm not sure about that. So you know what Jesus said to them? He was, he was healing a crippled guy, and he said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That kind of means like the Lord of Man, the Lord, the Son of Man is the same thing as I'm the Son of God, and God created the Sabbath. So it's a little like telling the Pharisees they're, ca they're calling God out on their own, his own creation. I don't know, it's kind of confusing. Anyway, he also said to them, is it better to keep to, and protect your laws or to free a person from their painful suffering? Hmm. Remember that time when you might have argued with your parents? They kind of get annoyed. Well, the Pharisees did not like that Jesus saw laws differently than them. They really just didn't like it. Sometimes we just need to look, step back, and consider a more godly perspective on our rules and laws. Jesus was trying to teach us that the Sabbath is not just for rest, but also for the loving service of others. It's so easy for us to get focused on how we know and how, we, how we've done things for a long time and how we might like to interpret the rules our way. In today's scripture and throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus reminds us that the most important thing is to love and care 
for each other, and that in doing so, we are honoring God. Let's pray. God, help us to understand things from your perspective, even when we seem to have our own opinions about what is the right thing to do. Forgive us for not loving each other first before we speak our mind. Amen. seated. We have, uh, since the beginning of the new year, been focusing on the theme, It's Bigger Than You, and have been looking at the text in the gospel according to Luke, and these stories have a wonderful way to get us a little bit out of our, outside of ourselves to consider a bigger world, a bigger life. A couple of weeks ago, we uh, looked at Jesus uh, preaching in the synagogue and they didn't like him in the synagogue, so they threw him out and that was his way by which to go from town to town and to spread the good news even beyond his own local congregation. Last week, Lori led us in thinking about casting our nets into the deep and Jesus called for us to go out and fish for people and the disciples dropping their nets and following Jesus. Today we look at Luke chapter six and find yet another story in which Jesus wanders with us around the one whom we might not normally consider within the walls of the synagogue or our congregation. So hear the word of God as it comes to us from Luke chapter six, beginning at the sixth verse. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught 
and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribe and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had a withered hand, come and stand here. And he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to them, stretch out, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Then this verse from the book of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, the 22nd verse. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these very imperfect words to point to the perfect word that has just been read and to the one who is the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rest of the seventh day, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. I have never found in any of the churches I have served much argument about the Ten Commandments. If you were to ask for a show of hands in all the churches where I've served who is in favor of the Ten Commandments, you would get pretty much a 100% approval rating. Not many folks are against the Ten Commandments, at least inside these walls. We all think that murdering is not such a good thing, stealing is not such a good thing, committing adultery is not such a good thing. But when it comes to the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, it's not that we're not in favor of it, but it's one of those commandments that we're not quite sure what to do with. What is this commandment asking me to do? What is it asking me not to do? I grew up in a family that traced its Presbyterian roots to the United Presbyterian Church of North America, a somewhat rather small and conservative and pietistic branch of Presbyterianism that were intent on keeping the Sabbath. Some of you heard me tell the story of being selected at nine years of age to be on the T-Ball All-Star team. It would be the only All-Star team for which I would be selected. Okay, I peaked early. (laughs) The All-Star game was scheduled for a Saturday afternoon, and you can imagine this nine-year-old's excitement about playing in it, but it rained on Saturday, and the coach called my father to tell him that the game was rescheduled for the next day, Sunday, Sunday afternoon. But we were Sabbath keepers, which meant no sports, no movies, no work on Sundays, and which also meant that my father got to have this conversation with his nine-year-old son to tell him that he wasn't going to be playing in the All-Star game because it was on a Sunday. Now, as a nine-year-old, there was very little I understood about that decision. I do think it is one of the reasons why I did not go on to play Major League Baseball. (laughs) And I suspect I pouted for quite a while, but what I did come to appreciate years later about that decision was the struggle my parents took upon themselves to protect what they had understood to be 
a gift from God. Sabbath is not simply a commandment from God, it is a gift from God. It is this wonderful gift from God given originally to an agrarian society where the temptation would be to work every day because a farmer's work is never done, to insist that each person stop and rest from sundown to sundown in order to enjoy the creation and those God had created for you to love. To keep it holy was to insist that you stop and rest and enjoy the sacredness of life. And ever since the people of God have been given this commandment, they have struggled to figure out how to protect it for themselves. Not unlike, I suppose, if we can use an analogy, a walled garden. Now, we don't have many walled gardens in this part of the world, but travel to Europe and other places, and there are walled gardens everywhere, and they are walled, so I've learned, not just to keep people out, but to protect what is inside, so as to allow it to grow. So the good Lord gives this wonderful garden of the Sabbath for us to tend to and enjoy and stop and smell the roses and what has has been hard for us to figure out is how to keep this wall, how to protect it, how to keep it sacred, allowing everything within it to flourish and grow. That's why there is a part of me that has some sympathy for these scribes and Pharisees, as Luke describes them, who are very concerned about the wall that goes around the Sabbath. What do we do? What do we not do? Because there is something very sacred, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, there is something very sacred that they want to protect. There is this commandment, one of the Ten Commandments, mind you, that they want to remember and they want to honor and possibly even enjoy. They want to make sure that the gift God has given to his people does not break because it's being mishandled. But in their effort to guard the gift, the rules of the Sabbath have gotten quite onerous and the wall has gotten pretty high and very secure and they may have been missing the point. It's kind of like a college I spoke at not long ago that had for years a rule that you couldn't walk on the grass. Hard to believe a college would keep its students from walking on the grass, but that was the case. Now it was a beautiful campus, a gorgeous quadrangle across which stretched this beautiful field of closely manicured, fertilized, deep dark green grass that people would admire and I'm sure was a great selling point for the admission staff and the marketing department. But in came years ago a new president who wondered with the trustees if they were kind of missing the point. Because as a college student, what do you want to do? You want to, you know, step off the sidewalk. You want to walk on, you want to play frisbee. You want to, you know, picnic on the grass, hang out on the grass. Their walled garden was missing the point. The sidewalks were missing the point. So they picked up all their keep off the grass signs. And, and sure enough, miracle of miracles, college students began to meander onto the grass. Frisbees started to fly. And goodness sakes, the quadrangle stayed pretty deep, dark, and green. And so when the man with the withered hand sneaks into the garden of the Pharisees and the scribes, they're very concerned about what rules apply and what rules don't apply in regards to what they can and can't do with this man. And they've gotten themselves all tied up in knots over the dimensions of the wall, the height of the wall, the thickness of the wall. They have forgotten about the garden. So concerned over the what of the wall, they have forgotten the who of the human. So they want to see, as Carol was pointing out, they want to see whether Jesus is a good wall keeper. The scribes and the Pharisees, Luke says to us, the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would, whether he would cure on the Sabbath. Whether he would open the wall door on the Sabbath. Whether he would let the man pick some roses on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. The walled garden is about the garden and not the wall. 
And we've got this human being here, and like this garden, he needs some tending to. It's kind of what the Sabbath is about, that, that God's children might flourish. God gives us this day of rest that we might flourish, that, that this man needs some flourishing. And that's the great pivot point here, because Jesus, the teacher, is here to say to the Pharisees and to the scribes and to you and to me that God wants all his children to flourish. God wants all his children to flourish. Can I get an amen to that? God wants all his children to flourish. Amen. I knew I could count on you. <laughs> not just be the rule keepers, not just the wall keepers. God wants all his children to flourish. And don't you wonder if Jesus doesn't have in the back of his mind all those texts in the Old Testament that are fairly unambig unambiguous when it comes to gardening, or should I say farming, over and over again, the same sentiment is repeated through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus and Ruth. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. No, you shall leave them for the poor and for the alien, I am the Lord your God. In other words, from the very beginning, when God implanted his image upon us, when God sought to shape his people, it was always going to be not about whether some flourish, but about whether all flourish. You got for yourself, God says, a nice big 10-acre farm. Well, then make sure you leave the edges for someone else. Make sure you have a lot of leftovers because it's not about the wall. It's not about the boundary. It's not about what you're keeping out. It's about the human being in your world that could stand a little flourishing the poor, the widow, the alien, the, the same alien in the Ten Commandments who deserves just as much gift and rest of the Sabbath. You shall not do any work, it says you, your son, your daughter, your male, your female slave, your livestock, or the alien in your midst. The poor, the widow, the foreigner, the one who doesn't look like you, the one that doesn't speak like you, the one that doesn't act like you. And so when Jesus is talking about the holiness, about holiness with the scribes and the Pharisees, the holiness, for example, of the Sabbath day, he is quick to point out that from the very beginning, holiness always encompasses the sacredness of the alien, the sacredness of the neighbor. Our withered hand friend, Jesus says, has meandered into the garden, our Sabbath garden, but he's sacred too. The, the prostitutes have wandered into the sacred of our, sacredness of our fellowship, but, but they're sacred too. The tax collectors have wandered into the temple, but they're sacred too. The Mexican, the Syrian have wandered across your border, but they're sacred too. Love enough, leave enough edges at your border. Because for Jesus, when it comes to the sacredness we want to protect, it doesn't start with the sacred walls or the sacred windows or the sacred rituals or the sacred cows or the sacred days or the sacred meals. It starts with the sacred neighbor. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, said C.S. Lewis, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. And it makes me wonder what this might mean if there's anything this political season has done. It has inflamed so many of our conversations and we are, we are quick to line ourselves up on one side of the line or the other, kind of like those Pharisees wanting to know whether Jesus is, is on their side or of the line or not. Are you with us or against us, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, you know, I'm kind of with the guy with the withered hand. I'm not sure whether it keeps the law or breaks the law, Jesus says. This guy needs some help. Doesn't make much sense to have a garden if he can't enjoy it. Don't you wonder if maybe the unique contribution that you and I can make to the impassioned debates of our time is to find a way to start the conversation in a different place. Not with the party or the government or the politician or the policy. Not to say we shouldn't get to those. We should, be, we should because we're citizens and citizens should speak of these things. But rather than starting with those things, 
that bring with that, that always bring with them lines and walls and boundaries, instead to begin the conversation with the holy reality in our midst, the neighbor, the poor, the sick, the foreigner, the prisoner. Not as a category, but as a real in the flesh person who has meandered inside our very garden. The guy who cut your grass, the woman down the street who just lost her husband, the family two blocks over who can't afford to take their kids to the doctor, the Egyptian family living across the street, the little boy in your daughter's class who worries that his parents might be deported. Jesus is always wanting the conversation to start there before the lines and the walls and the platforms, always there in the flesh, the holiest object presented to your senses. You've likely heard the apocryphal story of the days of World War II and the two GIs whose comrade had been killed and they wanted to make sure that he had a proper burial so they found a church cemetery over in the French countryside and they knocked on the door of the rectory to ask the priest for permission to bury their comrade inside the walls of his cemetery and and the priest told the GIs that the cemetery had some restrictions you had to be Roman Catholic and a member of his parish was your friend Roman Catholic was he a member here no of course the man said to men said to both questions, well, I, I wish I could help you, but my hands are tied. Well, this is wartime, the, the soldier said. This is our extraordinary times. No, the priest said, I can only do what I can do. Feel free, though, to bury him nearby, but not inside the fence. The soldiers were very disappointed, but still found a spot right next to the fence of the cemetery where they could dig a hole and bury their friend. They said a prayer and then returned to their platoon. The next day they returned to put a marker on the grave and they walked up to the side of the fence where they had dug the grave and, and it wasn't there, no grave. They walked up and down the fence, no grave, all around the cemetery, no grave. Fearing the worst, they went to the priest and said, Father, forgive us, but we were the ones who were here yesterday and asked to bury our friend inside the fence, but you told us outside, so we did that. We buried him outside, but we can't now find the grave. We looked up and down the fence, no sign. Do you have any idea what might have happened? And the priest said, oh, yes, I know what happened. I was so upset about your visit yesterday that I spent half the night worrying about what I said to you, and I spent the other half of the night moving the fence. Maybe Jesus had the ear of Robert Frost when he said, before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, as to whom I was like to give offense, something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. Whose side is Jesus on? The Pharisees and the scribes wanted to know. Every time we draw a line, Nadia Boltz Weber, the Lutheran pastor, recalls a parishioner saying to her once, every time we draw a line between us and others, Jesus always seems to be on the other side.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.